This episode is brought to you by FastCase and its comprehensive suite of legal intelligence tools. FastCase offers the full suite from legal research to analytics, document tracking to secondary treatises, AI tools, legal news, and more. FastCase is the smarter way to run your law library. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Ed Walters, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the American Association of Law Libraries annual meeting and conference from Washington, D.C., my hometown. Joining me now, we've got like maybe the most knowledgeable panel on analytics you could possibly put together. I'll ask uh, my guests to introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. My name is Michael Sander. I'm the founder and managing director of Docket Alarm, uh, which has been acquired by FastCase, and I'm the director of analytics at FastCase. Hi, I'm Jean O'Grady. I'm the senior director of research and knowledge services at DLA Piper, based in Washington, D.C. I'm also the founder and author of the blog Dewey Be Strategic. Hi, I'm Diana Kopang. I'm the Director of Research and Competitive Intelligence at Neil Gerber Eisenberg, a firm in Chicago, Illinois. Josh Becker, I'm the Chairman of Lex Machina. I was the CEO of Lex Machina for about eight years, and um, I am also the Head of Analytics at LexisNexis. Okay, so we're actually extending a super session from this morning. Right, so there were a number of different ideas for analytics programming during the annual meeting, uh, and they all came together into a deep dive <laughs> super session. Uh, it was probably on the order of 12 or 13 speakers over three hours. They had to put two rooms together, and still it was standing room only in the back. Um, it seems like there's a lot of interest here at the uh, annual meeting about analytics. Uh, and one of the things they came to see, Diana, was the report of uh, your team of law librarians who evaluated the services. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, this kind of evolved out of a project I started um, uh, frighteningly on my own uh, about three <laughs> years ago. So it was following actually the annual conference and seeing kind of the early um, earlier products and three years is a huge difference in three years of what's been developed. And I thought I really want to stack these all up so I know what to buy. So the products I had access to, I started making the spreadsheet, just breaking out all the different features and functionality um, and just lining them all up against each other. And then two years later, um, I went and updated it again, roped in one other person. Um, and then I decided it had gotten too big for me to handle. <laughs> so um, separately, Gene and I both had were working on analytics program proposals and we realized we should really combine forces. Um, but my piece was working with this team of librarians. So um, I put out a call for help on our um, network within the American Association of Law Libraries and got about 30 people who wanted to help test it. So we ended up with about 27 total people testing at the end from law firms and academic libraries. Um, they tested 16 questions that we came up with across seven platforms. Um, and then we also worked with the vendors in terms of you know, heads of product development and also product developers, you know, the people on the ground really developing it day to day, and worked with them to really assess what the platforms could do. And then the librarians really examined the nuances that came out of those testings that make the platform so different and often challenging to use. So let me just ask, this seems like a daunting enterprise, <laughs> right? I mean, when you first compare the services by yourself, tell me what the spreadsheet looked like. I think it was like four or five columns across. Like you could reasonably print it out maybe in a couple of pages. 
Um, and then it just kept growing. And um, in, in the presentation, I tried to I tried throw up a, a little zoomed out image of it, and I got blocked by Excel. I actually couldn't expand it far enough to show <laughs> what it looked like. So uh, it's pretty much impossible to print at this stage. And it's like I said, seven platforms, and I think it's. Uh, 95 rows of, of comparable factors of items that we compared. Um, and even at the end of that, we put a big glaring note at the top that it's not comprehensively showing all the features available in the platforms. Like if we went to all the different case types that Lex Machina has, I mean, within each case type, there's like 20 different motion types we could have done. So we were trying to stick a little apples to oranges as much as we could, um, but we still covered a lot of territory, but we couldn't cover everything. So. And um, I think the, the one question that everyone had, you refused to answer. <laughs> Who won? We refused to declare a winner. Yeah. <laughs> um, because there really isn't one. There's the product that's best for your firm, and probably it's more than one product, to be honest. Um, it'd be really hard. Everything depends on your use case, which is who your users are, who your primary users are. Um, are using it more um, maybe for CI or using it um, for other things that Gene will discuss. And you know, your budget's a factor and practice area is definitely a factor. So just because you have all these five practice areas, that may not be that you're going to get the analytics embraced by those five. So you have to really think carefully about which group you're purchasing for, at least when you're starting to get it rolling. Well, I think that's a good segue. So Gene, we, we had like a kind of a spectrum of different parts of the conversation in that room from very nuts and bolts tactical uh, court by court analytics to like the flying car future <laughs> of analytics. And I think you know, your firm DLA Piper is a very sophisticated consumer of legal information products. Um, how do you use these analytics in your law firm? Well, I think the initial use case, well, initially it was focused on IP. So the first consumers of the product were, were IP lawyers. And since then, as it has added more modules, we use it now in conjunction with new, the new business group to do it, to use it for pitches. But we have also developed deep relationships with uh, members of the litigation department, in particular with our litigation innovation committee. And we are working on several projects to drive litigation into the strategy that partners are using either as they have client discussions or as they move through the litigation process. And you know, we actually add into the, the mix other areas like state courts. We use multiple products because, again, as Diana said, depending on the nature of the litigation or de depending on the nature of the client, we look at what are the appropriate tools for us to be making available to the lawyers and that's where we get the, the data from. But, I mean, I think to me, I, I have had an incredible passion for driving analytics because it became immediately obvious to me that lawyers didn't know what questions they could ask. And suddenly, we had an entire new universe that you could make queries about. And so, I, one of the things I tried to do was to encourage the research team, when a, when a lawyer sends in a question and wants a judge's bio, you need to tell them that don't stop at the judge's bio. Look at all the things <laughs> right. we can tell you about the judge now. Because lawyers don't ask for things they don't think exist. And, and I can tell you, I remember back in the day, you know, maybe five years ago, we would occasionally get a request to compile some kind of court statistics. And it would take, you'd have to spend a couple of thousand dollars to hire a consultant. I mean, it was, it, it was almost unanswerable and maybe you could hire somebody and spend 
thousands, you would send almost the price of a product to get one report. So it's really awesome the way analytics is scaling up and broadening out. And as I said in the beginning of my presentation, we're only in the beginning. We are at the beginning of a long road. And I think it's, you know, it is going to be a magic carpet ride. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can I follow up on that? How do you decide what to buy? I mean, Diana says, it's not even apples and oranges, right? Uh, I think you had even said, you know, docket alarm is like a kiwi. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have this, this whole array of fruit. How do you decide inside of a firm? You'll have different people who want different data sets. And how do you decide which ones you're going to buy? I mean, so we're a mid-sized firm, so it's, it's kind of a different story perhaps for DLA, though I guess in some ways it just scales. Um, but the practice group becomes key. You know, so we're, our, our largest group is IP, and they definitely do a heavy amount of litigation. Um, so we originally really focused on products in that area, um, but it's kind of as attorneys get wind of what the other groups have, they want to see if that's available for them. Uh, a problem for us because, because we are a Midwestern firm, only office in Chicago, though we might practice across the country, of course, is that we have a lot of state court litigation. That's a big section of our litigation, so we don't really have as good of resources to handle that at this point, or we deal with the problem that we've got Cook County, which might be some of the most terrible data out there to try to normalize, I imagine. We don't sign long-term contracts for these products because we feel the market is just moving too quickly. So we try not to get locked in. It's a tough question. I've had people stop me like left and right and they're like, which one would you buy? Which one would you buy? And I, I'm like, I need you to tell me about your firm for 30 minutes and then maybe I can give you a recommendation, but it's complicated. Well, you know, I'd like to say, I think the important thing is to have the courage to buy something. <laughs> I think, one, as we all know, law is historically a backward-looking profession. And the introduction of forward-looking tools is really strange. And, you know, and a lawyer can argue against anything. I mean, you can come up with a really good argument against using analytics because it's not bulletproof. It's, 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 and as we covered a lot this morning, there are lots of footnotes to what, the, what you need to understand about the data. Nonetheless, I believe that law firms that are not using analytics will not only be ethically at risk, but they will be functionally at risk and not able to uh, advocate for their clients the right way. They won't be able to do uh, business development the right way. In fact, now we're even using it for lateral partner recruiting. You know, you can get all sorts of insights. I think there are, there are probably a thousand off-book use cases for, for analytics. <laughs> right. So, Gene uh, said this morning it's early days for analytics. But Josh, you've been working at this for what, 10 years? When did you, when did you start working at Lex Machina? So, I, I started about nine years ago, yeah. So it's, it's early days for everybody except you, I think. Um, <laughs> you were, I mean, I, I think a lot of people sort of think of you as a, like a co-founder of Lex Machina. In many ways you are, but you were sort of brought on to transform a very interesting project out of Stanford into a full-fledged company and to you know, pioneer the field of legal analytics. What was it like today to see like a packed room, a standing room only crowd talking about legal analytics with people from, you know, Thomson Reuters and Bloomberg and uh, even Fastcase, uh, you know, talking about legal analytics? Well, it was a little surreal, I will say. <laughs> Jean and I were talking yesterday about a promising new startup that's here at a small table and she had to help them pull up the table. No one's going to see you. You've got to pull up the table a little bit. <laughs> and just thinking, you know, that was us here at this conference, you know, six or seven years ago. 
So it is a bit surreal to, to see the attention to it. It's also very gratifying. It's obviously something I'm deeply, deeply passionate about. And, uh, and do I appreciate you, Ed, and Fastcase for your promotion of the space and the journal and asking the hard questions and, and promote with the Fastcase 100 and promoting everyone, um, you know, regardless of they're on your team or not, like just promoting every, the whole space. So I appreciate that. But yeah, it, it was a, a bit surreal, but it is gratifying as well. And just to be in front of a whole room. And I think tackling maybe you know, the most important question as this evolves, which is the quality and transparency question, because now that we've proven the market, right, anyone could say, oh, we have, we have analytics too. We've got a pretty chart, a pretty graph. And the point is, no, that's not analytics. And, and as we said today, it's, I, I tell people it's better to use no analytics than bad analytics, because that can lead you uh, to misleading results. So I think there was a good focus. And I think the panel and the, the, the exercise that Diana and Kevin and Jeremy and the team led with all the volunteers is a good step forward. And I hope that we see more and more of that, because I think now we all now that people are relying on this, um, you know, we do have to uh, all hold ourselves to a very high standard. Tell us why quality is important. Give us an example of the kind of mistakes people can make by using bad analytics. Well, if you think about it, you know, you're trying to determine your strategy in many cases. I mean, that's what, you know, Lex Machina always, is all really about the behavior, behavior of a judge, or behavior of a opposing party. And you're trying to set your strategy for the case. And so, you know, for example, if you're, I use the example of copyright because it's an easy one because there's file sharing cases that behave very similar to each other, but very different than the rest of copyright cases. And so um, you either want to include those cases if you care about them or exclude them. And if you're just looking broadly at, hey, uh, what's the timing to key milestones in front of you know, Judge Andrews um, and you're not excluding those cases, then you might say, oh, well, well you know, it'll, time is you know, a year and a half when actually the time is seven months or whatever it is, right? <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, it's just, I always, the example I sometimes use, which is a little long, I don't know if it's helpful, but I say if I'm, you know, looking on the internet and see what's my life expectancy, like when am I going to die? <laughs> um, you know, I might first go on and conclude, oh, well, life expectancy is 65. You know, I, I only got about, you know, 15 years left. And, um, but then I want to zero down, I want to find people like me, right? So I say, well, people in the UN, United States, okay. Well, now it's, okay, that, that's a little closer. So now it's, I, I find out it's, you know, 78. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little better, right? And then I find out, well, it's a person living in California and this group and this demographic. And, you know, it turns out it's 84, right? So it's like, you want to, it's all about finding, you know, cases like you. Because otherwise, you know, you're going to get, you know, I'm going to start plant you know, start uh, quitting, quitting and then doing my, uh, <laughs> my bucket list tomorrow because I don't have a lot of time left. It's interesting, though, because really what you're, what you're uh, finding in analytics, right, is probabilistic, right? It doesn't really predict the future. It really describes the past. Yeah. At least today, right? Sure. And uh, maybe you can talk a little, little bit about the divide in that thinking. There's a lot of people who, for example, say, like, we offer a predictive analytics solution. Yeah. Right? Well, I always say, and, and, and you know, Gene can, I think, hopefully test it. I always say, we're always very careful with the P word, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, predictive. Because you're right, it is about the past. And, and that's, you know, early on in Josh Walker, you know, you have a book coming out today, tomorrow um, that, um, you know, it's early on they would say, we're selling history. Because, you know, lawyers were scared of the terms data and analytics. We yeah. didn't even use them. We said, oh, we're just selling history, you know. <laughs> and, but, you know, that's, that's essentially still so what it is and rolling it up. And, and, yeah, you can make some judgments, but I think you do have to be careful about, you know, predicting the future. But, but, but the point is it's more than one, law, you know, one lawyer can't 
as skilled as they are, as he or she is, to be able to keep in her mind the thousand cases in front of Judge So and So and process and figure out, you know, so that's why everything in law tends to be reputation based. You know, oh, I need a good lawyer. Oh, well, Michael's pretty good. Like, that's kind of the state of the art today, you know? Right. Uh, and now we can at least say, well, you know, Michael, yeah, Michael's a lot of experience in front of this judge. Here's how he compares to these other people, right? Michael has, you know, a lot of domain in this subject matter. How's your companion to other people, right? So there's, you know, we, we've come a long way, but there's a long way to go. So maybe that's a good transition because, Michael, I, I know that you have been pushing the frontiers of analytics. Um, certainly when we met, uh, you were really uh, trying to see what's possible and to uh, kind of advance some of the work uh, that Josh and his team at Lex Machina uh, really started, founded, right? The yeah. foundational work they've done. Uh, tell us about what's on the frontier. So, you know, analytics really started in patent law uh, in many ways. And I'm, I'm always kind of curious of why that is. Maybe it was just because Stanford decided to pick up the patent law stuff first. Uh, but maybe I think it's because patent attorneys tend to be a little bit more mathematical, maybe a little <laughs> bit more comfortable with probabilities and numbers. Um, but what everybody wants to see is, I mean, there's nothing about analytics that are solely about patent law. Like you can take analytics and apply them to any sli like slip and fall cases, right? It can be anything. Um, so what I'd like to see is it being applied to more and more practice areas. And that's difficult because it takes a lot of work and a lot of subject matter expertise to set up a system uh, that's, that that you know works in every situation, um, as Josh said, you know, like the uh, two different types of copyright cases, being able to split the file sharing cases off from the non-file sharing cases is important. But unless you're a lawyer with subject matter expertise in that area, you're not going to know to do that split. So what we've been trying to do is rather than coming up with a ton of subject matter experts that will you know subdivide each and every possible case, we've been trying to build tools to allow researchers to do that subdivision themselves. Um, we allow them to kind of build their own tags, split the data up in their own way that they want, and, and really kind of give the tools that we use to build analytics ourselves to the, the researchers and the research librarians. And, you know, I'm really hoping that this is going to make law librarians more like data scientists. Because um, really what I'd like to see is for them to be able to do this work. They have the subject matter expertise. Um, and the truth is, it will take us forever to do modules and to do uh, you know, legal verticals in every possible mm -hmm. scenario. Um, we'll just never get done with them. Um, so rather pushing, that, pushing the, the tools that, uh, into the law library mm -hmm. might, actually, might actually speed that process up and allow them to actually get the answers that they need. So I know you've been working on um, the analytics workbench in Docket Alarm. Just say a word about what that is. Sure, so the analytics workbench, it's, it's, it's not an analytics you know, system per se. It's a set of tools for you to build your own analytics. Um, so if you go in there, you can't just click a button and say view, view analytics. You have to tell it what you want to see. Uh, you you do give it you know, a name and a description. Um, then you can give it a, a library of cases that you want it to analyze. Uh, then you can go into uh, what we call outcome tags. And you start applying these tags to parts of the docket sheet um, and in the future to the underlying documents as well uh, so that, so that each docket sheet can be tagged in specifically in what you want it to be tagged with. So like for example, a slip and fall case, you know, you'll be able to first set your library up so that you're only looking at slip and falls. Uh, then you can you know, put, put in there, uh, you know, the tags can be if you went to trial or that you, a summary judgment motion was filed or a summary judgment motion was decided. Um, and then from there, we can run the analytics on those tags and you can actually start see, you know, visualize the data that you've actually created. 
So same question to you, Josh. I mean, you're, you're, you've been working at sort of the frontier of legal analytics for years. What's next? What, what are we looking for in Lex Machina next? Well, because we take the quality very seriously, we talked about it, we, and we do interview a lot of experts and do for each area we go into. So we go into new areas very slowly. So we'll be done federal civil law really at the end of this year. It took us probably eight, nine years to get there. Um, then working on, on states. But I think it's really about deepening the analytics too in some of the other ways that Michael and others talked about. Um, we want to, uh, and then drawing linkages between other types of data sources as well. And I know you guys work in this as well between news data, financial data. Um, and do it in a way that can be helpful. Again, I get, think about it from two ways. I think about it, especially from a law firm perspective, you know, win business, win cases. So first is win business for your firm. So how can you use analytics to demonstrate expertise, right? Why are we the right firm because of our experience in front of this judge, our experience in this kind of case? And you have to be facile with the data, be able to slice and dice to present your firm the best foot forward, right? Investment banks have been doing this for years. They always have the league tables. And guess what? We're always number one. Um, <laughs> right. But hey, you know, it's only data, right? You have to be able to slice and dice and make, make the best case uh, for your firm. And also with business development, figure out which companies do you want to go after, right? Where do you have a good likelihood of winning? Where's, which is a company that might not be happy with their firm right now because they've lost a few cases yeah. recently. And then secondly, then win the case, right? And that's where the language analytics, textual analytics, which we're you know, just now at the very beginning stages of, um, you know, in context is one of the innovators there, um, of the textual analytics, understanding you know, for this judge, right? What cases does he or she tend to cite and what language in those cases? So, that's where I think it's all still super exciting and we have a long way to go, but we're at a very, very fun stage. Gene, Diana, if from inside of a law firm, if you could uh, wave a magic wand and add a feature or a data set into one of these analytics platforms, um, what would really delight your lawyers that doesn't exist today? Well, I know it would delight me, warning screens, but I'm not sure that would delight the lawyers. Oh, no, remember the say, issue like, came up this morning yes. about the caveats, you know, mm -hmm. this, you know, I, I, frankly, I was shocked when it came out that one of the products was only looking for data within the top hundred cases. Like, there ought to be a warning there. And I think especially now that we're, we're really at, at the very beginning of lawyers getting comfortable with the idea of analytics, I think having lawyers misunderstand analytics is a big risk because they may not just write off one product, they may, be repelled by the entire category of products. So we don't want that to happen. So I think, you know, right now, even though we have exposed many, many lawyers to analytics training through boot camps, I'm observing something that I refer to as adoption by proxy, where they're not quite ready to use it themselves, but we've seen a dramatic increase in requests of them sending the research for requests for analytics to the research team and letting the people who are most comfortable using the products, deliver the results, and then work with them iteratively. I mean, because a lot of times, you know, you need to focus and refocus, but I think just getting the word out and getting lawyers comfortable is the big challenge. And hopefully, you know, I think we also were talking about getting analytics into the law school. I think getting lawyers exposed to analytics, some sort of like money ball or gaming sort of thing, it, when, when they're still in school, is a very good idea so that they come into law firms expecting to see it. Can I just add about the caveats? Because I was just talking about this with yeah. Diana. I mean, we, at Docket Alarm, we post all of our coverage in glorious detail. You can see every year, every like all the different fields that we have for each different case type. 
Um, but it's on a separate page. You have to go to docalarm.com slash coverage. Really what you want is when you're running a search, you want to know like right when you run that search, like what am I missing possibly? Exactly. You know? yeah. And so, I mean, we were talking about that and yes, you can find it, it's on our coverage page, but then you have to go to the coverage page and you have to look it up and really, I mean, there's some good ideas that came out of this, I think. So it's, uh, and I think knowing what you're missing, uh, a database does not have to be complete as long as you know what, what it's missing. You know, you can still get useful information out of it um, if, you, if you know where the flaws are. I just, sorry, Diana, no, I just want to mention one thing. One other thing mm. that we've had resistance from some of the vendors, I really think in the early days it's, it's important to have what, what we refer to as widgets so that you can IP authenticate and let lawyers ask simple analytics questions. Um, you know, what is the history of this judge or what, you know, how many cases are before this judge. Some vendors are not letting us do that functionality. Mm. <laughs> Some vendors are resistant to giving us the, that data or letting people have access. So I think the more you wait, 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 I'm so, What are you asking, like IP like, authenticated? IP like authenticated, a, like, like tell me about this judge. You put in a judge's name uh -huh. and you put in a set of criteria and actually- An API you, into the data yeah, instead of like a full software And actually sit on your internet. Lex has some of those. They are the first ones to have these little API uh -huh. widgets, but they don't IP authenticate. I think they're a uh -huh. great idea. They're something I think all of the vendors should make available to get lawyers used to going in and asking about, I want judges, I want information on this district, on this kind of motion for this period of time, or there's ways to construct uh, queries on the fly without having to have a password, you know, without having to have training, let them ask simple questions and get used to it. Josh, I'm letting uh, Gene give you like a little bit of road mapping here. <laughs> Good, I like it, bring it on. <laughs> Diana, so I would I'll pass the wand to you. Yeah, so to tag onto that, I mean, one of the questions we asked on the spreadsheet, it was when we kind of tagged on at the end was, um, uh, do you have quick profiles? Because that's a nice hybrid yes. point. So attorneys get the quick profiles, right? Our, our attorneys really love that in Bloomberg Law Litigation Analytics. And it's got an authority control file. So they just start typing the name in just like the type ahead feature in Google. And they get a starting page. So that starting page, and that's a feature in a lot of the platforms, that is a good thing. I mean, I still think a lot of the platforms need a lot stronger training and analytical research skills to do everything that they're capable of. But having that, that entry point for the attorneys, um, that is key. And for marketing people, that would be great. Um, so I agree with that. I'm writing these things down. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, the little like, very nerdy dream I have is This is to, the place for your nerdy dreams. Okay, You're great. in a safe space on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I want the data to be more reliable. And, and I have this thought like, so I help um, sometimes recruiting with um, finding a possible lateral candidates, right? And one of the issues is, um, so ALM scrapes uh, law firm site data and looking for attorneys' movings. But we'll ask questions like, well, what happens if uh, the attorney gets married and, and does change your name, or now it's a hyphenated name? Are you accounting for that? Can you really track that? Um, and I'm always like, well, don't they have, like, can't they have an ID number behind them? Each attorney is registered with the state. They have an ARDC number. Um, same thing with judges, shouldn't there be something like this? I'm not asking for their social security numbers or something, but... But, but their bar ID number is public. Yeah. Yeah. Their bar yeah. ideas. But I, I used to do records management. In my head, there's that record ID that was assigned to every file, so I still want that in the databases. And um, it's, otherwise, we're relying on hoping, just hoping that the normalization has been carried through correctly, or that if we have, like in Lex Machina, lets us do that customized grouping, mm -hmm. but that, then we thought of all the iterations that it could be, and this comes up more, of course, in companies and individuals as parties, but maybe it seems like a small thing, but it, it has a triggering effect, it has a that cascading effect on all the data and the reliability of it. 
and I also think another issue that came up this morning was the idea of having those short videos mm -hmm. on every platform. I think, I think every vendor would be doing themselves a favor because people might go to a, a, a training and then a month later they go back and log in and to have a quick refresher on how do I do a judge's, how do I explore motions, how do I explore judges, having a quick video is a very useful tool. One of the most popular things in Fastcase, by the way, we have a law librarian on staff uh, who makes little training mm -hmm. videos and uh, we love them, but I mean, they're so popular. Everyone looks at them, they're you know insanely helpful. But I would make them a little more specific, right? So sometimes we'll see training that's just like, how do you find out information about a judge or something? But you could take the analytics questions that we wrote that all came out of actual questions our attorneys gave us. They wanted answers to these and we took those and made those the basis of the testing. But use it like a real example, right? So when you want to find this, this type of case, um, motion history or motion outcomes for X judge. Walk us through a very specific example instead of more of a general concept of an area of the platform. This sounds a little bit like, uh, I'm not trying to shill, but it does sound a little bit like uh, the new Workbench platform that you've built where people can run uh, a, an analytics query uh, custom for them and then publish it so that their clients or other people in the firm or anybody in the world, depending on how they set the rights, can look at the individual analytics uh, look-in that they've created, right? Yeah, I think actually there's there's that, and um, I think the most powerful part of that is uh, it's a copy feature. So when someone actually goes through and spends a lot of time building their analytics, and then somebody new comes along, they don't know how to do anything, uh, they don't really know where to start, they can just take somebody else's and just click copy, and then that creates a whole set just for themselves, and then they can start editing it. That's a I've totally copied some of your workbenches. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Right. I'm like, oh, Michael did that one. Great, cool. <laughs> you, can, you can always keep them private, but I think the idea is, we were talking this morning about how hard it is to create these individual analytic reports. Mm -hmm. uh, this is almost like the beginning of an open source movement, you know, where people can say, mm. I've done something, it is not like proprietary, there's no personal client information in here, but I've taken a look into what's going on in this particular court in Illinois, uh, and I'm going to publish it so anyone can build on top of it. I think it's well, also, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one other point on the quality point, because I didn't get to say it on the panel earlier today. I yeah. will say, you know, we know, we talked a lot about the PACER problem, mm -hmm. and you do have to clean up the PACER data. We found that the attorney information on PACER is wrong at the federal level, you know, well, it's federal, 20% um, of the time, in some cases, almost 50% of the time. And I know, for example, our friends at Westlaw do not keep the historical crawls. And unless you keep those historical crawls, you can't go back and figure out, unless you can go into the signature blocks, which yeah. we're also able to do, you can't figure out who was, you know, who did what, who was at that firm, who signed that motion, who actually did that. And that's why they can't go back and fix that information. Well, so, yeah. Um, Point. Analyzing the signature blocks, I think, is actually almost it's imperative for doing a for doing getting accurate party and firm data. Um, so I, I I totally agree with you. And actually, it also goes back to your point about the it, it does get difficult when there's names that are similar to each other mm -hmm. or someone changes their last name. And I, I don't I'm 99% sure that Pacer does not give bar IDs uh, when they're they give you email addresses and other stuff, but they don't give you bar IDs. Right. So it can be very difficult to actually yeah. disambiguate names, uh, especially if they, someone changes their last name. Um, so some mm -hmm. state courts do give you bar ID, so. I'm going to give you all a chance for a closing thought, starting with Josh, we'll come oh. across the table. Well, thanks, it's fun. I think today was a big step forward just with the number of people in the room and the amount of effort put forward uh, by Diana and the whole uh, team. And I hope that we see more of that as, we, as we've as we now proven this space is valuable. Now we need to 
and make sure that we're all paying attention to you know, the, the quality piece. But I think this is super exciting moment in time and I really appreciate bringing us together for this conversation. So I'll just say that the law librarians are eager to keep working <laughs> in this partnership. Um, I really think that we should be kind of, uh, we should be the experts in understanding these platforms more than anybody else in the legal industry because we're the most likely and the most adept at being the core users. So I'm hoping this partnership um, continues. I was a little nervous at the beginning thinking I'm going to try to get uh, five different vendors and seven platforms and they're all going to be nice to each other and talk to each other and be collaborative <laughs> and it was actually refreshingly very pleasant. And um, I learned so much, and I'm hoping we can just keep continuing this um, development and, and monitoring of the changes in the industry. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to echo somewhat Diana. I think this means full employment for librarians for, the, for eternity. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, uh, data quality and collection analysis, that's, that's what librarians have always done. It's, uh, whether it's an encyclopedia or a data set, you're trying to figure out what do we really need and what, is this reliable? And so I think it is daunting. I mean, it's, it, it, it's important that we not be frightened away from the scope of the challenge ahead of us, but I think everybody's product, the, the legal market will benefit, lawyers will benefit, the products will benefit if we have this ongoing dialogue and, and help everybody. And I love the way you come here and you see how Every year, one product leapfrogs over another product, loops, leapfrogs over another product. I mean, the competition is great. You know, I was just very, very impressed. Something spe I mean, special happened, I think, today. With this, this is, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, the first kind of, or the, by far the most comprehensive analysis of these different analytics products that's been put together, right? Yes. And there was seven different products evaluated. 27, you said? 27 testers. 10, 27 testers, that must have been a dozen firms. I, I, how did you uh, yeah, and, and uh, academic law libraries participated okay, as well. Okay, so over, probably over a dozen different organizations mm -hmm. all coming together. And then finally at the, at the stage, you know, I mean, there's, there's Lex Machina who kind of started this thing, uh, and then there's, you know, Docadalon was there, and then we also have Gavalytics, who's like also the up and riser, and you also have Thomson Reuters, who kind of, a little bit of a later entry, but they're still definitely pushing hard. Um, so it's, uh, it just was really cool to see all, this, all these people coming together, and we're all working on the same problem, really. Um, so it's, you know, we're all kind of going for the same goal, but it was really great to be a part of it. And I'll just echo one more thing, which is, um, it seems like year after year at this annual meeting of the American Association of Law Libraries, there is some foundational groundbreaking insight into uh, the black box of search or into legal artificial intelligence or into analytics. And I think this is really becoming the brand of law librarians. As Gene said, these kind of information literacies and next century tools are going to be located and centered in law firms and law schools in the law library. It's going to be law librarians who carry that torch. And we are really in a transitional time for that profession, right? Where uh, it is becoming an information literacy role inside of law libraries, diffusing knowledge to uh, lawyers, to partners, to associates, to paralegals, to legal secretaries. But the tip of the spear is in the law library and the, the sort of peak of information literacy is going to be with law librarians. Can I make I, a plug for AALL then? All right. So we're the American Association of Law Libraries, but our membership are not just law librarians. Um, we have chief knowledge officers, we have knowledge analysts, um, we have people Marketers. who are more in data science, marketing. Um, join our organization. Um, be familiar with your local chapters. Um, there's plenty of resources. Check out you know, AllNet, our site, to see what we're about. And consider hiring a librarian. I mean, it's shocking to me how many uh, law firms who are of like under 100 attorneys have no librarian. and I 
can't even imagine how they even pick the right product for anything. So um, I just want to encourage people to consider our organization as an opportunity place to learn. Diana, would you finish the plug? If people want to find out more information about AALL, where can they find that? It's aallnet.org. Did I get that right, Gene? Okay, good. So. <laughs> or Google. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. For everyone, I'll start with Josh again. If our listeners have questions or want to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Sure. Uh, email me, jbecker at lexmachina.com, jbecker at lexmachina.com, best way. Yeah, feel free to email me as well. Um, so it's D, as in Diana, Copang, so D-K-O-P-P-A-N-G at N-G-E dot com. And I'm Jean O'Grady at J-E-A-N, Jean dot O'Grady at dlapiper.com and you can also look up my website www.deweybstrategic as in the Dewey who just got banned from the American Library Association. <laughs> <laughs> Good branding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. I have the, the, the tech email address. It's just michael at docketalarm.com so we can just do the first names. <laughs> Great. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Ed Walters. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.